The Unshackled Waves, Episode 56. Hello and welcome to the Unshackled Waves podcast. I'm Tim Wilms, back for this week for another interview show. Our guest for today, we are lucky to have with us uh, Rebecca Gosper, who is the Secretary and Spokesperson for Youth for Life Australia. So, Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So Youth for Life describes itself as a grassroots movement of Australian young people committed to protecting the lives <laughs> of the most vulnerable in our society, including the elderly, pregnant, disabled and the unborn. They believe that all humans should be treated with uh, equal dignity and granted equal rights. Now, they don't just lobby politicians. They also dedicate themselves to changing the hearts and minds of ordinary Australians on pro-life issues. They do regular face-to-face engagements with the public, whether that be in shopping centres or on the streets. Now, it can be somewhat disheartening being a pro-life activist in Australia, given our extremely high abortion rate and given we have some of the worst abortion laws anywhere in the world and we are constantly up against uh, hostile media and exposed to some of the most horrendous uh, vitriol imaginable. But the pro-life movement had a significant victory with the defeat of a bill in New South Wales which would have permitted abortion right up until birth. Uh, There is still a lot of progress being made in the United States with pro-life legislation being enacted and a lot of abortion clinics closing down. So I thought I'd have Rebecca on as a guest today to discuss the way forward and how we can help better create a culture of life. Now, I'll start with uh, the basic question. Now, obviously, you don't need to convince me, but why should people be (laughs) pro-life? I think people should be pro-life because, you know, it's all about loving and supporting and celebrating life, no matter the circumstances. So, you know, whether that's an unborn baby and her mother that are experiencing severe financial or social crisis, or, you know, that teenager who's experiencing severe depression, or an elderly person who's suffering from serious pain. You know, we're there to say that all their lives matter, no matter what. And, yeah, I guess that, you know, we want to go out of our way to find the solution for that mother and that baby or that teenager or that elderly person. And, you know, that's why I think people should be pro-life because it's just an approach of love that says that every life is valuable and has dignity as opposed to saying that some lives are more valuable than others. So so you certainly come from it from a... Uh, point of view that you know life is to is to be preserved mm-hmm. yeah definitely um and you know not only preserved but treasured and valued i think that's a really important point too yeah i think that's definitely uh, a message that the the public don't often hear of uh, from uh pro-life people because there's there's often this caricature caricature created of pro-life people Mm, Yeah, definitely. I think that's something that we need to work really hard to overcome and show people that, you know, it's not some older generation that's pro-life, it's us, it's the young people that want to make that difference. Yes, it's, uh, I'm very inspired by your organisation. It's so, so great to see so many of you so energetic. Now, also one of the perceptions of um, pro, uh, pro-life uh, people is that its case is only backed up by religious belief 
although mm. a person they may be inspired by their faith um, as being the primary basis for them being pro-life, we know that uh, there is also a scientific and medical case backing up the, the pro-life case. Yeah, definitely. I think this is, you know, a classic logical fallacy that's thrown at us all the time. And, you know, this isn't a religious, sorry, this isn't a religious issue. It's a human rights issue. We're all human, so we should all be engaging in this conversation. And science and medicine definitely back this up. I mean, I was speaking to a young doctor just two days ago. He was pro-choice, and then a few weeks later, he started calling himself pro-life. And the reason why he changed his mind was because he witnessed an abortion. He witnessed the intentional ending of the life of a 13 or 14 week old unborn baby. And he told me that he distinctly remembers seeing its fingers and fingernails. And after the baby was removed, it was in his own words, chucked in a bucket. He changed his mind on abortion because of medicine and because of what he saw. And you know, you can't argue with that. With somebody's experience, you just can't argue with that. And yeah, he, he just saw in that moment that that was a human. And that wasn't by any religious means, that was by science and him using his eyes and seeing that. Yeah, that, uh, definitely. I find that the more that people find out about what abortion really involves, and of course it's, uh, we don't want to be too graphic, but it just, just horrifies yeah. you. And so that's why I think, especially in this age of the internet, people are becoming more pro-life because they're seeing we're seeing on the internet what it actually involves and yes it's not just a religion like I myself am actually an atheist and I came to this point of view by you know thinking about the the life issue you know deeply and thinking thinking you know how can we actually you know take away a a life no matter what stage what stage it's at yeah exactly I don't think that you know we have the right to be dictating whose life is valuable and whose isn't so yeah I think that makes a lot of sense now, obviously, another um, perception of the uh, pro-life movement and a lot of the proponents of abortion say that um, pro-life people, they're all about turning women into criminals and forcing them into dangerous backyard abortions. Um, what do you say to that perception? I mean, in New South Wales, no woman has ever been charged with procuring an abortion. The reason that abortion exists in the Crimes Act is to protect women from doctors who could cause serious harm to them. So, you know, you never legalise something that's wrong to make it safer. For example, you'd never legalise mugging to make it safer. It just doesn't make sense. So, you know, what we really need here is a cultural change. The pro-life movement today is about creating a world in which abortions are both unthinkable and unnecessary because we're giving women the support that they really need. Um, you know, in many cases, the woman's just as much a victim of circumstance as the baby is. So I think we really need to challenge those circumstances and not criminalise the victim. That's what it all comes down to. Yeah, I definitely think that um, uh, the, the message that uh, of what I've seen of the, the pro-life movement is that um, we see that, yes, women are also the victims as well. I mean, post-abortion, uh, mm -hmm. Uh, mental health issues are, are prevalent and so you know we we always want to help those those women who have you know been pressured into an abortion and regretted it and in fact I've uh, I know that a lot of uh, the most um, most passionate pro-life activists have actually been women who've had abortions 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've met a woman recently who was pressured into an abortion and she's not religious or anything and she's simply speaking out because she's gone through that experience and she's seen the effects that it has on women. And, you know, that makes her passionate to, you know, stop other women from having to go through this. And it's also, uh, I, I think, really good that we want to foster a cultural of life and you know you can create all the laws in the world you want but unless you have that society which values human life that's what's going to bring down the the abortion rate yeah exactly now another myth that there is about the the pro-life movement I'm, I'm going through all these myths which there's a lot of <laughs> that's for sure it's now it's claimed that um, the pro-life people they don't care about the the welfare of the woman or the child post-pregnancy, but this isn't true at all. Not at all. It's exactly that a myth. I've never met a pro-lifer who doesn't care about the life of that mother and baby after the child's born. There's so many organisations throughout Australia that dedicate themselves exactly sorry exactly to this cause. So, for example, here in New South Wales, we have organisations like Sarah's Place and Diamond Pregnancy Support who have volunteers who give up their time and resources to help these women. And they don't receive any government funding. They don't receive any type of government support. This is all out of their own hearts that they do this. And I know um, in Victoria, you have the Babes Project and a few other smaller organisations as well that are doing amazing work down there, supporting women both during and after their pregnancy. Yes, I'm definitely not as um, active as uh, the pro-life movement as um, so someone like you, but I'm definitely uh, in in solidarity with you. And I remember I go to the, the March for the Babies every year and I remember um, hearing a speech from uh, one of the groups we have down here is um, uh, God, uh, helpers of God's precious infants. And they talked about how, mm -hmm. you know, once they convince a, a woman not to have an abortion, they, they help her, you know, not just right up until the birth, but also post, uh, post the birth and looking after the child and making sure that, you know, they, they're able to you know, be, be on their feet, you know, being able to care for their child while also living their life as well. So really helping women all throughout the experience of having a child. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's so important. It's amazing to see how all these different organisations are coming together to, you know, offer women real support that they need. And there's also uh, a lot of a lot of perception. I mean, um, in the past, it was often frowned upon uh, to be a, a single mother. But I think it's really good that, uh, well, as a society and also the pro-life pro movement has this position as well as that it, it doesn't matter, you know, what the circumstance a woman got pregnant, she deserves to be supported and, uh, and what matters is just looking after her child and making sure that she can move forward in life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, as I mentioned in my introduction, there's a lot of vitriol directed uh, uh, at pro-life people for their views. Um, how do you handle that? I'm sure you've experienced it. Does it does it get you down? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a university student, so particularly in that sphere, it can be really difficult to be actively pro-life because people judge you for it and they'll try to argue with you all the time. And I think it takes a lot of courage to stand up for what you believe in. And, you know, even if that means that my ego is hurt a little bit, I can deal with that. I mean, it's just so important to put the word out there because you never know what impact this is going to have on somebody else's life. 
Um, and at the same time, I think it's really important to have a supportive team behind you. So, you know, Youth for Life are great with that, um, as well as other organisations. Um, and they really act as that security blanket when you're going out into hostile environments. You know that you have these awesome people backing you up all the way. So, yeah, I guess my main point here is that, yes, it can be really difficult and sometimes people make you think, make, <laughs> sometimes people make you feel crazy for thinking that an unborn baby is a human being. But it's all worth it because slowly by having these open conversations, you're able to touch hearts and minds. And if we aren't the ones to start those conversations, those conversations probably just aren't going to be had. Yeah, that's definitely a, a good way of looking at it. And it sounds like um, at Youth for Life, there's a lot of solidarity of you know mm -hmm. uh, making sure that you know you have the resources there to be able to make the case to to the public and also handle difficult situations. Yeah, exactly. There's such a supportive team behind me. And yeah, there's real friendships there as well. It's not just, you know, we're an organisation, this is what we do. It's we're real people and this is why we do it. And it's it's a bit like the, the way that um, our opponents carry on, like we we always try to take the, the moral high ground that, you know, even though they're where we disagree with our opponents, we try to have a respectful debate, yet, you know, they accuse us, us of being the, the hateful people, yet they're the ones that, you know, carry on yell abuse. And I've been to, as I said, the, the March for the Babies in Melbourne, where uh, if it wasn't for the police there, there'd be people who try and attack us simply for wanting mm. to protect life. Yeah, I know, it's so crazy. I mean, and I think that's a really good point that you made before that, you know, they they don't seem to be open to having conversations and that's all that we want to do we just want to have a conversation with them at the end of the day if they don't agree with me you know that's not great but that's okay i can deal with that at least we've had that conversation but yeah the hardest part is just getting them open to listening to you yeah definitely but i also think it damages their cause as well i mean at the march mm. you see one group you know peacefully marching and, and you see the other side, you know, really vitriolic, yelling abuse. And uh, it, it definitely makes me feel that I know that I'm on the right side here. You're on the right side, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Now, also another um, issue that you have to overcome is the, the overwhelming bias of the, the mainstream media on life issues. I mean, you only have to, to look, at, look at the way that um, pro-life politicians are treated. Uh, for example, um, Tanya Davies in New South Wales, uh, it was, she was told that she couldn't be Minister for Women because she was uh, pro-life. So uh, how, how does that uh, influence the way that you campaign and reach shout to people given that basically the whole media is against you yeah i think that you know this is a challenge but this is where social media is opening up such new and exciting avenues for the pro-life message to get out there so through social media we can put out out our own articles videos photos all of that um, and convey the truth about these life issues so also, the, the bias of the media almost motivates our grassroots support because everyday Australians are starting to notice that bias and so they're paying more attention to the groups themselves rather than what the media is reporting about those groups. So they're going directly to the source, I'm finding. So, you know, if the media want to continue to be taken seriously, they're going to have to start showing both sides of the story, otherwise people just aren't going to listen to them anymore. Um, and in the meantime, we've had some really positive engagement through social media. So. 
you know, just a couple of weeks ago, I used social media to gather support for a petition against the New South Wales abortion bills. And that received over 56,000 signatures in less than two weeks, all because of social media. And that wasn't covered at all by mainstream media. Uh, it's definitely great that we have the the internet these days, which uh, which is able to, we don't have the, the gatekeepers anymore. Your organisations are able to go directly to the public and also uh, that's one of the reasons why we started The Unshackled is because we wanted to you know, put the alternative point of view out there to the public and counter the mainstream media. So you'll always have a, a friendly media organisation here with The Unshackled. Good to know. <laughs> Now, many of the abortion bills that are being proposed, such as the, the one just defeating New South Wales and, of course, the, the one that we have in my home state of Victoria, uh, they're, they're very extreme, basically allowing abortion up until birth. And there's also a push to have exclusion zones around abortion clinics to prevent pro-life campaigners from providing women with information about other options. Um, how is it that reasonable people can support such abhorrent laws and not see that aborting full-term babies is wrong? To be honest, I don't think it is reasonable people who are pushing so hard for these laws. Um, here in New South Wales, we conducted a Galaxy poll and last month, and it shows that only 5% of voters want abortion up until birth. So I think it is just a really small vocal minority who are really pushing for these extreme laws. And I've even met multiple pro-choice people who have said they don't agree with abortion up until birth. So the kinds of laws that were proposed in New South Wales and passed in Victoria, as you mentioned before, really are extreme. And I don't think the general population even realises what's going on around them and what actually happens in an abortion procedure. So that's why we need to get out there and inform the public of, you know, what's truly going on. Education is so important on these issues and at the moment people just aren't receiving that information. And that's a big aim for us, for Youth for Life, is you know just to spark that conversation about these issues and educate people on what's really happening behind the scenes so that they can then make an informed decision of what their view truly is. Because I think there's a lot of people who are passively pro-choice, but yeah, as you said, they mm. don't actually know what's in these bills. And so, um, you know, they, they might be convinced, uh, for example, up to up to 16 weeks, but, um, you know, obviously they wouldn't support it right up until birth, yet it's, uh, these are the bills that are being proposed. So certainly it, it's up to you to sort of uh, to tell the public this is the reality of, what, of what's being proposed. Yeah, exactly. And I think we need to get out there and just, yeah, make people aware of what's happening around them. But why is it that these extreme bills, the ones that, that are being proposed, like who, 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 is, who is influencing the politicians to, to propose these? As I said before, I think it's just that really small minority. So obviously um, political organisations, especially the Greens, are really pushing for these bills. So it was Maureen Faruqi who pushed for the last one in New South Wales. And I think she's just got a really strong, noisy team behind her that's just pushing her and pushing her to try and get these things through. Yeah, because it's, yeah, it's, as I said, ordinary people, they, they, they don't think too much about, about, about this uh, issue and they sort of, they, they go along with, you know, oh, I you know, support a woman's right to choose. We've sort of got to communicate that it's, it's not, it's 
not as simple as that. There's a lot. It's really, really complex. And you know, abortion's not just you know as it's termed healthcare. It's actually really you know gruesome procedure. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, people just don't know what's happening. Now, there is also a large push in all Australian states to legalise euthanasia or, as it's sometimes called, uh, assisted suicide, which uh, throughout recent history, except for a brief time in the Northern Territory, all bills relating to it have been defeated. Um, how dangerous is mm. allowing euthanasia, given that we have some overseas experiences to look at? Yeah, I guess the scary thing is that you don't even have to look overseas to see how dangerous euthanasia really is. So in 2014, a man from Perth, his name was Nigel Braley, I'm pretty sure, um, he died after illegally importing and consuming a euthanasia drug. He did this after receiving advice from um, the then doctor, Philip Natichke, who suggested that Mr Braley end his life. Um, Mr Braley was not terminally ill. He was, in his own words, suffering. So, you know, surely when somebody is suffering, we should be doing everything we possibly can to help them, not saying that they don't deserve our time and energy and that killing them is probably just the easier option. Um, but, you know, in saying that, the stats overseas are terrifying as well. So in both Belgium and the Netherlands, studies of euthanasia have, you know, shown that the legal constraints are failing. So in Belgium, 5.4% of all deaths in 2007 were from euthanasia. 32% of these were with it, were without explicit request from the patient. That's a huge number to be, you know, without request of the patient. And of those, 60% of those cases, the patient had never requested, um, sorry, had never expressed a wish to end their own lives. So I think that these stats show that euthanasia isn't, stay, isn't safe and there's no point in ignoring um, the stats that I mentioned before, because that's the reality of the situation. So instead of putting our country's time and other resources into debating euthanasia yet again, I think we should be putting that effort into improving palliative care. In fact, it's National Palliative Care this week. So, you know, I think the real question here shouldn't be, should we allow euthanasia? I think it should be, how, sh how can we practically support people in end-of-life care? And there is also another misconception about euthanasia that it's simply just turning off the, the life support system of somebody who's already going to uh, die, die without it. But, uh, but it's not. It's, it's about a lot of the time, like, uh, actually killing, like, active pe people and, and they're not all with with life-threatening illnesses there's a, there's been a lot of cases of well of people who um have been feeling a bit depressed and and gone and had euthanasia yeah exactly well people that are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder have experienced abuse in the past there's a whole range of issues and yeah i think we need to be saying to these people that you know your life is valuable we are here to help you we're not just going to say oh that's your problem you take your life if we want if you want to that's just not good enough we need to be doing more for these people. And, and it comes back to, of course, uh, fostering that cult culture of life, that meaning that uh, you know, we need to put out there that you know, life is precious, that you know, should be lived every day and, and euthanasia ending it prematurely. That's, you know, we don't, we don't want, I mean, f I've heard of the, this concept of having death parties for people who are about to have euthanasia mm -hmm. and that, that, just, that just seems abhorrent to me.
Yeah, there was a case last year of that. And yeah, I agree with you. I think that, you know, we can be doing so much better for these people. Yeah, and it's it's def definitely, I think that, you know, uh, well, for me that, you know, I want to keep living, you know, every day of, you know, living life. And I think that's the message that we need to get out there, that you, know, you only get one life. And even if, you know, you aren't as... Uh, ca uh, capable as as you once were, that doesn't mean you can still have a fulfilling life. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you should be doing everything you can to get out there. And yeah, you know, if you do experience suffering or pain or, you know, you've had horrible experiences in the past, that shouldn't stop you from living the rest of your life the best that you can. Uh, Ed, uh, one of the of the reasons why I became opposed to euthanasia back when my uh, views were still forming is I remember a friend of mine uh, talked about one of their friends who had a, a child who'd been uh, born with their umbilical cord wrapped around their neck and so obviously they you know, had um, you know, uh, severe brain damage and I recall I said to them yep. at the time like wouldn't you know, if there's no quality of life, life there, wouldn't they be better, you know, just dying? And my, my friend said to me, no, you, you didn't know that child, you didn't know that family. Like, he had, like, even though he was only alive mm -hmm. for 11 years, he had an excellent quality of life and it was certainly everyone felt enriched by that. And that, that really, you know, it really hit a nerve with me that, and made me think again. Yeah, exactly. And those stories do make such a big difference. Now, um, obviously, in Australia, as I mentioned, it, ca it can be quite demoralising, well, especially for people like me living in Victoria, um, it's where we had the abortion law reform bill passed in 2008, and uh, yeah, there's been various uh, attempts to repeal it without much success. But uh, there is a lot to be optimistic about um, based on overseas experience in the in the United States, mm -hmm. where uh, the pro-life pro movement is is growing stronger, and it's um, because of young people's changing attitude on the issue. So why in and we've talked about this already. Uh, briefly, but why do you think the youth are embracing the, the pro-life position? I think that my generation in general feel really strongly about people being discriminated against. And when they say abortion for what it really is, that sense of justice comes to the forefront and they see that discrimination against the unborn, particularly those unborn children with disabilities. So, you know, US statistics say that one in four of my generation are missing because of abortion. And I think that this is something that has affected our generation profoundly. And as more and more young people realise this, they're going to do everything they can to make sure that this injustice isn't passed on to the next generation. So, yeah, we want to be the ones to change society's attitude about a whole range of life issues, particularly abortion and euthanasia. And I think especially abortion because, you know, it does affect people my age really profoundly. And because the... The abortion rate is is so high it's a, a lot of young people are discovering through their parents telling them that uh, that, that you know doctors other people told them that uh, they they should have an abortion and so it really hits them wow mm -hmm. I could have could have been aborted and I, I've seen over in America uh, at uh, pro-life rallies uh, signs saying that you know my mother told told uh, was told to abort me, but she chose not to, and look at me now. 
Yeah, exactly. You, you hear those stories all the time and it just makes you wonder, like, you know, how often do the doctors or the nurses or the health professionals give the wrong advice about abortion? Um, when, you know, really, even if that child does have a disability, does have a disability, so what? Like, we can still love that child. We can still love that mother and that family no matter what. Pro-choice people, they often say, well, especially to me because I'm a man, that oh, you can't have an opinion on abortion because, uh, you know, it's a woman who has to carry the baby. But they, they don't mention that we were all once fetuses and so certainly we should have a say as well. Yeah, exactly. It's a human rights issue, as I said before. So, you know, everyone should get a say in it. And I've noticed that uh, that quote, a famous quote from Ronald Reagan at uh, various pro-life rallies, that I noticed that uh, all the uh, su uh, support for abortion comes from people who are already born. Yeah, I know. It's such a classic quote, but it's so true. I mean, I'm pretty sure if you asked an unborn baby if they wanted to be born, they'd probably say yes if they could. And it appears like because the, there are so many abortions that it's affecting a lot of people. And so when it, when it affects people and they're exposed to uh, the, the negative, negativity around it, it's, it's certainly making them think again. Yeah, exactly. I think people are seriously considering what the long-term psychological impacts of abortion are and not just the impacts on the mother, although she is obviously the one most profoundly affected, but the impacts that has on the whole family and, you know, the whole generation. So, yeah, I think people are sort of taking this conversation seriously now, which is nice to see. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, even though there's there's a lot of setbacks along the way, it's it's certainly I, I think something that we can change in our lifetimes. Yeah, definitely, and I think we have to go with it with you know that positive can-do attitude, and you know yeah, see what we can do in our lifetime. If we can abolish abortion in my lifetime, I'm going to be one happy old lady. <laughs> Well, we'll end on that uh, positive note. So thank you for being a guest on today's show, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. And, of course, I would encourage uh, all of our listeners, if they so desire to get involved with Youth for Life or consider just donating to them, because it's certainly uh, a worthy cause. And, uh, of course, I look, more, look forward to more of your positive work in the, in the near future. Sounds good. And I certainly hope that for our listeners who may be uh, on the fence of this issue or have believed some of the myths about the, the pro-life movement that we successfully debunked those tonight. All right, everybody, so usual reminders apply at the end of the show. Don't forget, if you haven't already, to sign up to the email list at theunshackled.net slash subscribe. Uh, please consider supporting The Unshackled at theunshackled.net slash support. Uh, also, please remember to subscribe to this show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or view the video version on YouTube. And, of course, don't forget to keep checking theunshackled.net on a regular basis for all the latest news. Thanks once again for listening, and we'll see you next time.